True Crime Fix is a podcast with adult themes and graphic descriptions of crime which may not be considered suitable for all ages. Please use your discretion when listening. All research has been conducted using material in the public domain and some opinions may not be that of the author or the host. Please remember that all victims are someone's loved one and all episodes are recorded in the utmost respect of their memory. You're listening to the True Crime Base Podcast with your host, Steve. Hello again everyone, and welcome to the 46th episode of the True Crime Fix Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show so far, then please make sure that you've subscribed on your chosen podcast directory and all the new episodes will automatically download for you upon release. Firstly, thank you so much for all of the amazing feedback that I've received for the London episodes and I cannot wait to start the Christchurch episodes four weeks from today. Also, make sure that you stay tuned at the end of today's show for details about a special episode in a fortnight's time. As for this week, guess what ladies and gentlemen? She's back! This is another episode which has been written by my wife Ashley. I would say by popular demand, but I'd hate to inflate her ego. Talking of Ashley, for those who have not seen the social media posts, we're pregnant. Our baby is due to be born in March 2021, and to say that we're both overly excited is an understatement. When Ashley and I were married back in August 2018, our maid of honour, Sarah, asked us to look into each other's eyes. Waiting for some dramatic declaration of love to pass from her lips, she told us that statistically we were staring at the person who was most likely to be guilty of our murder. Even though at the time she was only saying this to us because she knows about the unhealthy obsession that we both hold, unfortunately she is right. One in four women and one in six men will be affected by domestic abuse during their lives. On average, two women are murdered every week and 30 men are murdered every year due to domestic violence. Strangely enough, 16% of all violent crime is recorded as domestic abuse, but domestic abuse is the least likely crime to be reported to the police. There are more repeat victims of domestic abuse than repeat victims of any other crime. On average, domestic abuse victims will have been assaulted 68 times before reporting anything to the police. Two years ago, That was 31. In the UK, domestic abuse is amongst the top five most quoted reasons for a person to become homeless, and speaking from experience working in housing, having to frantically find a victim refuge from their attacker is a demanding but rewarding job. Seeing the relief of an abuse victim when the realisation hits them that they've escaped is one that you will never experience. It is believed 
that there are more cases of domestic abuse amongst men, however, they do not tend to be reported. Men who experience domestic violence and abuse often don't seek help until the problem becomes a crisis, researchers say. Men tend to worry that they will not be believed or that they will be perceived as less masculine if they reported the abuse their analysis found. The Mankind Initiative is a domestic violence charity based in the United Kingdom and is at the forefront of providing support for male victims of domestic abuse and violence. Since becoming a charity in 2001, it has provided a helpline, training and support for statutory agencies, primarily the police and local authorities, and campaigns to ensure that the equal recognition is given to male victims in the same way that recognition is given to female victims of domestic abuse. It is one of only a few charities in the country to help male victims. If you're affected by any form of domestic abuse or violence, please do not stand in silence. Mankind's number is 01823 334 244 or the National Domestic Abuse Line is 0808 2000 247 Ladies and gentlemen, this is your True Crime Fix. I'm your host Steve and this episode has been dedicated to the memory of Edward Miller. Edward Miller was born on the 30th of June 1992 in the county of Leicestershire. His mother Sarah and father Colin Miller already had a daughter Vicky, so Eddie was always spoilt being the little brother. Sarah said when speaking to a local newspaper, We felt blessed. The fact that I was fortunate enough to have one of each is a big blessing. The arrival of her son Eddie made the family complete. Eddie was described as a cheeky chappy with a huge heart. He was popular with his friends due to his good sense of humour. His friends would say that if you were down, he'd make you laugh. When Eddie was just 11, the family dynamic changed as his parents divorced. He maintained a close relationship with his father, but he remained in the family home in Eastwell, Leicestershire. His mother Sarah returned to using her maiden name, Wessel. Eastwell is a small village in Leicestershire near the famous pork pie-making town of Melton Mowbray. The population of the village at the time of the last census was just over 200 people. The breakup between his parents strengthened Eddie's relationship with his mother Sarah and frequently got wound up and called a mummy's boy. But Eddie had strong family values and was known to be a gentle giant, dwarfing his mother standing at over six foot in height. Eddie left school at the age of 18 and got a job as a barman at the Scalford Hall Hotel in Melton Mowbray, less than five miles from Eastwell, where Eddie was living with his mother. 
It was not long before he was selected to go to college on a hotel management course. One night whilst Eddie was working, he was introduced to Michelle Mills by his friends. Michelle Mills was 11 years older than Eddie and already had two children of her own. Michelle was described by everyone who she met as being impeccably dressed as well as well-mannered. Her nails were always neatly manicured and her blonde hair straight and sleek. The gentle persona that she had and her 4 foot 11 stature seemed perfectly suited to her role as a teacher in a children's nursery. It was fair to say though that all was not quite what it seemed. Behind Michelle Mills's pleasant demeanour was an altogether more disturbing personality. She was an extensive drug user and had previously been treated for mental health with elements of a histronic personality disorder. In a person with histronic personality disorder, their self-esteem depends on the approval of others. People with this disorder often have an overwhelming desire to be noticed and often behave dramatically or inappropriately to get attention. Histronic personality disorder is one of the group of conditions called dramatic personality disorders. People with these disorders have intense, unstable emotions and distorted self-images. The issues with Michelle Mills's behaviour did not stop there. Behind closed doors, she was a volatile character, prone to irrational behaviour and outbursts of violence, as unfortunately Eddie would soon discover. Previous partners have since reported publicly that she had been violent in the past. Most alarming of all, they all reported that she had an inclination towards knives in the relationship and was often the primary aggressor. But when Eddie became aware of Mills's past, however, through the standard route of pub gossip, the true testament of his character was that he stayed by her side and often defended her. Eddie was infatuated by his new girlfriend and weeks after meeting her, he decided it was time to introduce her to his mother. Sarah stated in an interview on the crime and investigation programme Britain's Darkest Taboos that the first impressions were that she was smartly dressed but very vain in a look-at-me way. Regardless of what she thought, however, as with most mums, if her son was happy, then she was happy. As his relationship developed, Eddie spent less and less time with his family and friends. According to Sarah, Mills had become very controlling of Eddie since the start of their relationship. Not only was Eddie becoming very distant, but his mum and Eddie's friends, unbeknownst to him, had taken an instant dislike to Mills. The reason being that she had started exhibiting some very odd behaviour in public settings. She would openly discuss her drug use and previous sexual relations, but not only that, 
she would make totally inappropriate suggestions and innuendos to his friends. In the autumn of 2011, Michelle Mills lost custody of her second child to social services, which led to a decline in her mental health. Mills would regularly throw Eddie out of her house at all hours, and Eddie would have to return to his mother's house with noticeable wounds on his neck and face from bites and scratches. Despite her internal dislike for the woman, Sarah invited Mills to move into the family home and offered to support her emotionally and help her get herself back on her feet. Mills was now suffering from depression as well as her borderline personality disorder. Eddie's mother Sarah motivated her to take her depression medication and encouraged her to attend counselling sessions which she would take her to. Eddie's mother just wanted the best for her son and if getting Michelle Mills treatment was the way to obtain that then she would do all she could to help. While Eddie believed that he had found the perfect woman, Mills's erratic behaviour escalated from one of control to outbursts of violent rage. The relationship was volatile and Mills's mood swings erupted regularly. Despite the eruptions becoming more frequent, Eddie still wanted things to work with Mills. But he was finding it harder and harder to hide the attacks. Eddie's friends and family started to notice the marks and grazes on his body and face. Eddie would stringently deny that they were caused by Mills. Despite the professional help and support that Mills was receiving, she was still drinking heavily and taking illegal drugs. Sarah, in the television documentary, openly discussed the night before she asked Mills to move out of the family home. Sarah said she was in her bedroom and she heard Mills shouting at Eddie. The couple had been sharing a bottle of wine and watching a movie in Eddie's room. Sarah walked into the bedroom to see Mills thumping on her son's chest. Sarah tried to pull Mills away and separate the pair. But each time Mills broke through Sarah's arms again and started hitting Eddie. Eddie pushed Mills to the bed where Sarah was able to restrain her and take her out of the room. Again remember, Mills was only 4 foot 11 and Eddie was over 6 foot. Once she was outside of the room, Mills' behaviour was described as chilling. Mills had smashed a mirror and then quietly and calmly used the smashed glass to touch up her makeup before leaving. Two days after the attack, Mills spoke with Sarah and with Eddie, apologising for her actions and she was invited back into the family home. In August 2012, Eddie and Mills moved into their own place despite the turbulent relationship that they still had. Eddie believed that this act of commitment would make their relationship stronger. 
Eddie and Mills moved into a rented cottage in Scalford, four miles away from Eastwell. Strangely for all concerned, Mills introduced herself to the new neighbours, confiding in them straight away about the volatile relationship that she and Eddie had. She also explained to the neighbour who was attached to their cottage, Jerry Painter, that she was not to worry if she was to hear arguments between the couple as it was a common thing but they would always make up. Jerry would say at a later date that this was a very strange introduction to say the least. Eddie received a promotion at work to the manager of the hotel in late October 2012. Not long after receiving the news, Michelle Mills and Eddie headed over to tell the exciting news of Eddie's career progression to Sarah on the 2nd of November 2012. Sarah remembered telling Eddie how proud she was of him and that they had a really long, embracing hug. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to Sarah, that this would be the last time that she would see her beloved son, Eddie, alive. It was bonfire night, November the 5th, 2012, and Eddie and Mills were drinking in a local pub, the King's Arms, where Mills was a part-time barmaid. True to form, the couple had begun to argue, and Eddie decided that he had had enough and headed home at around 9pm. Mills stayed at the pub for another drink and then headed home. The argument was believed to be over Mills texting a man by the name of Trevor Stuckley, who was the father of Mills' oldest child. Mills was texting him about how much she loved and missed him and wished that they were still together. One message read, I still love you and always have. I'm sorry, XX. In a second text she wrote, I wish I'd never let you go, XX. When she got home, Mills confronted Eddie, wanting a further argument. Jerry, the couple's neighbour, reported that the couple were arguing from around 9.45pm and continued long into the night. At around 11.45pm, Jerry stated that she had had enough of the constant arguing and the noise was getting progressively louder. Jerry decided to slam the door as loud as she could, hoping that the couple would hear and realise that the argument was disrupting their neighbour's tranquillity and the noise would settle down. This tactic worked briefly, however, after a few minutes of calm, the argument continued. In the couple's cottage, Eddie was determined to end the argument and according to later testimony, pushed Mills away and sat on the sofa and continued drinking. This enraged Mills further, who went to the kitchen drawer and armed herself with a knife. She went back to the living room and launched herself at Eddie. In a fit of blind rage, Mills stabbed Eddie 24 times with such ferocity 
that the blade of the knife broke off. She had stabbed him with so much force that the knife had penetrated through his skin nine inches deep. Subsequent investigations showed that Eddie had tried to fight Mills off as there was defence wounds on both of his hands. The ferocious attacks left blows to his chest, abdomen and back. Eddie fell to the floor and was left bleeding. It is believed that Mills waited 20 minutes before she called the emergency services as she watched her boyfriend's life drain out of him. The emergency services were called to King Street Scalford at 1.10am following reports of a man being hurt. In her call to the emergency services, Mills even continued to blame Eddie for the attack. Eddie Miller was pronounced dead upon his arrival at Nottingham's Queen's Medical Centre. The paramedics had tried everything they could to revive him, but it was believed that he died at the scene. When at the police station, Mills claimed that she was the victim of domestic violence, but more on that in a minute. Mills was arrested for murder and appeared briefly before Loughborough Magistrates Court to hear the charges and confirm her personal details and a trial date was set for April 2013. The trial commenced in court number one at Lincoln Crown Court on the 2nd of April 2013. Judge Michael Heath presided over the trial. The Crown Prosecution Service was represented by Yvonne Cohen QC. Mills was defended by Peter Lodder QC. The court heard how Eddie and Mills had a drunken argument. They heard how Mills had attacked two previous partners with a knife and also threatened Eddie Miller with a blade during their tempestuous two-year relationship, described by psychiatrists as an explosive combination. Mills wept as she told the jury she loved Eddie and didn't mean to kill him. She claimed the domestic violence she suffered triggered memories of being sexually abused as a child, causing her to fly into rage. She told the jury that voices in her head told her, just do it. Mills said, I have no memory of picking up the knife, but I remember using it to stab Eddie. As I walked back into the living room, he came towards me. I thought he was going to attack me. I stabbed him because I thought he was going to kill me. I stabbed him a second time in the stomach. I killed him, but I didn't mean to kill him. I didn't want to kill him. The court also found out that Mills had become very angry with Eddie after she found cannabis in the cottage. She was concerned that the cannabis, which belonged to Eddie, might have prevented her from regaining custody of her children. But Mills' strange behaviour continued in court as well, in the evidence given by a psychologist. Mills told Dr McNally 
who gave evidence for the defence that the violence inflicted on her by Eddie was getting worse and worse and was happening three or four times each week. She told the psychologist he stripped her naked, strangled her with her own top and then pushed her outside. In other testimony though, she told Dr McNally she had previous experience of being taken by aliens. Jurors were also told that she recalled finding herself at railway tracks and a DIY store with no recollection of how she got there following previous altercations with Eddie. The defence tried to use the theory of dissociation to explain Mills's actions. Explaining the theory of dissociation, Dr McNally told the court If a child can't physically remove itself, then mentally it will dissociate, given certain circumstances. It becomes a coping mechanism when you perceive a high level of threat. Basically, they were trying to say that Mills was so scared of Eddie that she was not responsible for her actions. But Miss Cohen told jurors. She was in command of her faculties that night knew what she was doing, and was able to make a rational judgement. The prosecution suggests that in drink she became aggressive and lost her temper. She was apparently thinking fondly of an ex during the row and texted him in affectionate terms. After Eddie, by her account, had grabbed her and pushed her off the sofa, she got away from him. It could have stopped. All he wanted, it seems, was to sit and have a drink. She wasn't going to let him ignore her, so she took it to the next level by taking a knife to him repeatedly, perhaps to punish this young man for what may have happened between them before, but clearly to hurt him very severely. And during the course of it, she actually broke the knife. If that is right, it is a plain case of murder. In her closing speech for the prosecution, Yvonne Cohen QC said, What happened to Eddie wasn't a one-off. It was a pattern of behaviour with her partners, reaching for a knife when she was extremely angry with them. She then commented on how Eddie was over a foot taller and nearly ten stone or 140 pounds, heavier than Mills. She said, Big lad though he was, he was no match for the knife being wielded by a woman in rage on him. Flanked by two security guards, Mills burst into tears as the jury returned their guilty verdict after a day of deliberations. Judge Heath said, This was a brutal, ferocious and sustained attack. You loved each other, but you were jealous of each other. You were extremely angry with him and you were in rage. He did not realistically stand a chance of defending himself. Such was the ferocity of the attack. 
I detect no remorse in you. You have only been concerned with yourself. You did your very best to hoodwink the jury, but they saw through you. Throughout this trial, you have tried to portray yourself as a serial victim of domestic violence. That picture is not an accurate one. You are a manipulative woman who strays from the truth when it suits you to do so. Judge Michael Heath warned Mills that there was only one sentence he could pass, but told her he wanted to take time to reflect on the length of her sentence. As she left the court, Mills blew kisses to family members in the public gallery, remanding her in custody until the following week Judge Heath told her, The jury have convicted you of the murder, and there is only one sentence I can pass in relation to that. That is, of course, life imprisonment. I have to decide the minimum sentence that you will serve before you can be released. Mills was then sentenced to 15 years in prison. If you are affected by any form of domestic abuse or violence, please do not stand in silence. Please reach out to friends, family or a domestic violence institution. Thank you once again for your continued support and I just want to break with tradition to give you a brief preview of what is coming next time. First thing I need to tell you is that the next episode will be released on Thursday the 22nd of October and not Friday the 23rd as normal. The reason for this is that I'm doing a collaboration episode with two other podcasts in preparation for an upcoming documentary. I'm sure if I was to say to you all I solemnly swear I'm up to no good or he who should not be named or even bad Dobby You will all know the movie franchise that I'm talking about, Harry Potter. In 2008, shortly before the release of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the young aspiring actor who played Marcus Belby was stabbed to death outside a pub in Sidcup. So I'm proud to announce that episode 47 will be the Rob Knox story. The episode is over two hours long and features an in-depth interview with Rob's father and close friend. It is an episode I guarantee you will not want to miss. Until then, please remember if you've enjoyed the show or want to know more, please follow us on Twitter at True Crime Fix Pod. That's at True Crime Fix Pod on Twitter. The podcast also has a Facebook page True Crime Fix podcast, but there's also a fan page, True Crime Fix Discussion. I'm thoroughly enjoying interacting with everyone on there, and this is where I post the majority of the information on the week's cases. Also, a reminder that the podcast is on Patreon, so please, if you can support the show, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash True Crime Fix podcast. I also have an Instagram account, so search True Crime Fix. 
Also, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the show, then please contact me at truecrimefixpodcast at gmail.com. That's truecrimefixpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe, look after each other, and live life to the fullest, because you never know who or what might be coming around the next corner. Take care, everyone.